Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, chatting to Joe Thomas. His novels focus on tough, gritty places uh, and he's won awards for increasing social awareness in them too. He mixes fiction, fact, crime, high literary stuff in there as well. We talk about how having a child has warped his routine a little bit. Also why he likes to get out of his house to write and, and surround himself in learning. And as the author of the critically acclaimed Sao Paulo Quartet, uh, when did the idea of telling these stories actually come to him? I lived in Sao Paulo from 2002 to 2012, roughly, basically. On 2006, on the Mother's Day weekend, there was um, a, a kind of rebellion that occurred f- from the big criminal gang, the PCC, in Sao Paulo. The World Cup was that year, 2006, of course, and the PCC gang, uh, mainly involved in drugs, but all sorts of other criminal activity, they are, the leaders are, kept in prison or well, they're in prison not kept in prison that's, that sounds they're imprisoned they're in jail and they demanded from the authorities so they requested uh flat screen tvs for their cells to watch the the world cup and this request was denied and so as a consequence at least this is the superficially superficial narrative as a consequence the um the gang the foot, sho- foot soldiers of the gang in Sao Paulo kind of tore the place up, create some chaos. There is more on the way with Joe Thomas in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Hello, welcome along. My name's Dan Simpson. Thank you for finding and following us. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look inside an author's working day, uh, looking at how they start it, when they finish it, also what they need to do to an idea before they start and finish it uh, and how much they know along the way and how they plan their plot. Now this week uh, we are with Joe Thomas. He's the author of the Sao Paulo Quartet, uh, Paradise City in there, Gringa, Playboy and the new one is Brazilian Psycho. He grew up in Hackney uh, and has published a, a London novel as well called Bent. And then he moved to Brazil for 10 years and has told the story of how he saw the city. He won an award for British authors whose work aims to increase social awareness. Uh, and I mean, that's so apparent when, when you read his stories, four set in the kind of in the favelas of Sao Paulo, one set in a gritty part of London, too. He seems to write 
not just to tell stories, but also for change, really. His style is its a bit of everything. He weaves crime fiction, true crime fiction, high literary style. There's historical fact. There's a touch of personal memoir in there as well. Uh, it explores one of the most fascinating, glamorous and violent cities in the world. We talk about where he escapes to write. Yeah, the little quirks of his writing day, how things have changed for him through 10 years of novels, and all about that new book, Brazilian Psycho. Uh, so let's get into it, as we always do, with what Joe sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. That's a very good question, because it changes. Um, at the moment, I'm sitting in my bedroom, but I don't normally write here. At the moment, though, over the last couple of months, I've been doing writing in Senate House Library in central London, which is part of the University of London uh, Library. So when I sit down to write, I see lots and lots of mathematics textbooks. Um, looking out the window, I see the roofs of Senate House, the kind of brutalist buildings just to the left, of the roof of the British Library, and a few students <laughs> knocking about in the libraries too. Not many at this point. But that's what I'm seeing when I'm writing at the moment. However, that can change, and it will change again in not too long. When I go back to France, my partner's French, our son has dual nationality, and I, I write a lot in the Norman countryside. That sounds very dramatic and very exciting. But what do I see there? I, um, I look out the window and see a stretch of green and some trees. Um, but I'm not, I'm not a hugely fussy person in terms of what they see when they write. I think that that's, that's probably the least important thing in many ways. Um, but I must say working in Senate house library has been, has been a, a real haven after a year of, of, of homeworking almost constantly. So why do we find you in the library? Why have you made that your, your would be office to write from? Well, partly because I'm a member of it and it's free for me. I am, I'm my other job outside of writing is I'm a, a university lecturer in creative writing and literature, English literature at the University of Hertfordshire. But before that, I used to work at the at Royal Holloway, University of London. And that enabled me to get a, a, um, a free and permanent membership of Senate House Library, which is a really great, um, a really great facility. And it provides quiet and, and space. Um, and it's it's ten minute walk from where I live. <laughs> um, the British Library is another one I've worked in, but I'm I'm less keen on that, to be honest. Um, but yeah, that, so that's it's practicality as much as anything else. Uh, also, working in the the Norman countryside, which uh, don't, don't matter how much you play it down, it, it sounds pretty romantic and dramatic. Uh, have you noticed any? differences in I may be a bit airy fairy here but any differences between the way that you work how creative you are in those two spaces um it's a good question it's not it's not airy fairy it's I, I find I don't think there is a huge difference and partly because I I focus the work that I do my novels tend to be fairly well sort of planned in terms of structure if not in terms of detail I know I break my novels up into terms of kind of units of time uh, chapters or sections are based around that. Um, so I'm, I'm, and I'm always work. I'm always, I generally tend to be writing a scene or a chapter or a section and, and kind of researching the next one as well at the same time to keep a kind of element of variety. Um, that's the detailed research as opposed to the research that I might do at the beginning before I sit down and write. Um, so in the end, there is a kind of functionality and efficiency to the, to the writing process, which, doesn't really affect where you are 
Um, more importantly, it's I think affects where you are in life, and that's uh, that doesn't if that doesn't sound too airy fairy, I don't know what does. <laughs> but um, um, I now have a son who's twenty months old. I alluded to earlier, and and the living with a child and living as a family has made me reconsider slightly what when I think I work best or when I need to work best, if that makes sense. I always used to believe that writing for me should be done first thing in the morning with no distraction. And that's when I was best at sitting down and, and you know, churning out my thousand words, my 1500 words. Now I'm, I'm finding that I, I want to and need to spend time with my son in the mornings um, and then go off and work a little bit later, not, not much later. I'm talking nine, 10 o'clock, but, um, and having to, to, to snap between the, that's what I'm learning at the moment, how to, how to switch off one element of your life and turn on the other immediately. And, and the luxury of, of uh, that luxury doesn't exist in the same way. There are many more luxuries that do, of course. Uh, but that, I think, rather than Normandy or the library, that's the thing that's <laughs> made the, the most impact on me over the last couple of years. We will get to the routine in some detail because it's very interesting that you bring that up. I just want to just anchor down a couple more questions as to the space. Uh, when you're in the two different places, uh, what is consistent around you that you kind of make your space? People like to make their little rooms personal. I mean, I'm talking, is it just you and a laptop? Have you got post-it notes with you? Have you got any plot points? Is there a notepad? Just take me through that. Yeah, it's quite it's quite simple, and um, um, but it is personalised, I think, and it's something that I've I've taken to my other work too. I, I, I'm you know teaching. Um, I now do you know even before we were teaching online because of the pandemic, much of the work that I would do as a teacher would be through virtual learning environments. I I'd be there teaching them, but all the work's available on you know on the computer. So over the last few years, I've become more and more understanding of how of how useful the laptop is <laughs> as a device, I suppose. Um, so the first thing is, yeah, there's a laptop. Um, there's a notebook, which is currently an orange notebook. One of those, I can't remember the name. It's the, I think it's, is it German or Swiss? The Le- or Swiss, Swedish, Lifton, I'm not quite sure. It's got, but I like the this notebook because it has dots rather than lines. Um, and, it, and I like the color of the page. This was a, a gift that, a friend gave to me when my, when my first book was published at the, at the launch and it was this very garish orange color and I've never used one that hasn't been black before. And I was a bit reluctant, but it was, it was such a big, it was 250 page notebook and it looked so kind of nice inside that I, that I got over my fear of the garish orange. And so that's there. Um, despite the fact that I'm, I'm now using it on about the one, two, three, this will be the third, fourth novel that I'm writing at the moment, which is, use this notebook in some way i've still got 100 pages left <laughs> so I, I tend to scribble down notes i sometimes write passages in it but it's more there for a sort of support thing so there's the laptop the orange notebook uh the tape modern pen that i that works particularly well in the orange notebook um and then there's my kindle at the moment <clears throat> the kindle is a i've discovered last year when we were in Normandy and, and for a lot longer than we anticipated I was doing needing to research a novel that, I, that is a new project after Brazilian Psycho and I suddenly understood that I could buy a buy the books I needed the, the sort of non-fiction text history text you know via the you know, Kindle and then also highlight in the Kindle I hadn't understood quite how useful that is as a resource so all my non-fiction kind of 
research or not just nonfiction, but all the research highlighting that I would normally consider doing in pencil or, or, or jotting down is, is, is on the Kindle. And then I go to that and then jot it down after that. So those are the, those are the key, key things, laptop, orange notebook, pen, Kindle. And, uh, is there anything else I can think of? Some, something to prop the laptop up so I'm, so I can try and sit vaguely well for my back which is turn, turn neck which turns out to be hard at the moment in the uh, in the library i'm in one of those research in a little research room called a carol which you can book um, because there's not many people using the, the library at the moment i've got one and the thing i'm using to prop my laptop up is the stand that you would use to lift books down off a high shelf so that's in there at the moment so that looks a bit strange but it does the job very well now just take me onto the computer screen very quickly uh what are you writing on is it a microsoft word and also joe um do you have any strong font opinions? I, I do. You know, yes. it's good news. Um, I use a Mac. I've got a MacBook Air, which is quite new. First, I bought it last year, September. So it's not that old. Um, my, I'm just looking at my desktop picture is, is one of the, is very clean. It's one of the MacBook, you know, preset ones of like the C, just sort of like light blue. All my stuff is moved across to the right. I'm really, really anal about all these things. I keep things trimmed and neat. And um, you can see on the right, I've got Microsoft Outlook, Word, Preview, Zoom, Teams, Google, Spotify, which I'm a bit embarrassed about, but because of my record collection, the music and GarageBand, which I've never used. Those are the ones that stay out. Everything else is tidied away. I use, I write on Word um, and I write using Times New Roman 12, 1.5. And the document is at 180% at the moment because that means I can see it more clearly when it's up on that enormous high step thing that I just described. Let me 180% my, my screen right now. Um, okay, that's, I mean... I've got an even better routine habit thing that, that you might like from the, that, is, that is connected to the document, which is about word count. Um, I've developed this this habit. I don't know if habit seems probably too nice a thing, but I've developed this tendency now where every time I pause, even if it's for a moment, even if it's just to stop and check something, my word count has to be at, at either end in either five or zero. So I can't stop at any, even for, as I said, even for a second, unless the word count is, even if a pause as I'm writing, if I'm checking something in my orange notebook or on my Kindle, uh, the, 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 the word count has to have naught or zero on there at the end, which is a very, very, yeah, it developed as a kind of habit at the end of a session, writing session, and then it's it's become kind of almost compulsive. And I I've now embrace it. I think it's a, way, a good way of making me tinker with sentences and paragraphs all the time, trying to figure out the best, you know, the best edit for it. But on the other hand, it's probably quite destructive too. I said, interestingly enough, I told a friend of mine, she's a writer called Sam Mills, who's written novels and recently a memoir last year called Fragments of My Father, which is a really beautiful book. And she, um, I told her, and then six months later, she said she's adopted the habit as well. And she's really annoyed with me. <laughs> I believe that I'm not precious about, about wanting to carve out nine hours of solitude and, and quiet in order to write the novels. I, I don't think that's, it's not practical when you've got a day job for a start or a second job, whatever you want to call it, when you're dividing your time between two things. Um, but also because I believe that, that, that the write, writing is, 
a kind of craft that that, that happens after with repetitive practice, obviously. And the more that the, you you need to sit down and work each day in some form, whether it's jotting something down or reading something or writing two thousand words, I think that that all of that contributes. And I and I've always felt that that I don't think there should be a particular time of day or place or or, or set, setting that enables it. Do you see what I mean? Having, having said that, what I think what I think is different. The re- resetting is an interesting word to use because what I my routine at home normally involves I get up with my son and and give um, and help him you know do the first first thing give him breakfast play with him a little bit sometimes take him to the park and then about nine o'clock or a bit before nine o'clock um his mum takes him for the next sort of session as it were and so I'm um and then I'm then I go off to work to write or I have to just to to uh to do it, whether whether it's in you know in France or here or or in, in the library or whatever, but it's more the resetting is more about the ability to sit down and start promptly. I think that 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 if if you had the time time being a little more precious rather than me being precious about it, if that makes sense. So time being a bit tighter in a day and me wanting to spend time with my son at the beginning and the end of the day, it means that I need to get to work quicker. Uh, a bit less procrastinating or a bit less looking at, you know, the football results. Um, and that is tricky <laughs> because whereas you can't, whereas, whereas I believe I can write any point in the day and I know that I can, cause I've been productive at different points. Um, what I'm, what I'm trying to learn is, is to, is to be able to just go to, to, yeah, to, to switch off and start working immediately without the kind of preliminary looking at email and reading a, article the news or i'm not on social media so that obviously helps with that element but there's still plenty of things that to read on the guardian (laughs) you um you're kind of getting there already so let's crack on with your writing routine how does it look joe so the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are sat down to write just just run us through how you do it so yeah so um at the moment i'll be waking up if i'm lucky it's after half six with my son um i'll yeah as i say play with him, give him breakfast, take him to the park, Lincoln's in Fields, which you may know, um, working out of Red Lion Square, <clears throat> where we'll go and watch people play tennis for a bit, wander around. Uh, I'll come back, hand him over to his mum, and then I'll grab my backpack and my laptop and go to Senate House. And I'll be there hopefully by between half nine and ten. And then I will sit in at the laptop and, and, and work for from ten till let's say 12.30, I would have thought, um, and, and, and hopefully two hours of that time would have been spent writing. What I'd hoped to have achieved in that would have been a, a, a written approximately a 1,000 words. Um, and if not that, then then have moved the scene along, you know, more than 500. Um, I then, at Senate House, is, is central London, so jumping out and finding something to for a quick lunch is easy enough, and hopefully back in again at 1 and give myself from one till approximately three o'clock, three fifteen, three thirty, maybe, um, to to continue with what I've been doing in the morning, and then also to do some reading and research for, alongside. As I said before, I tend to write and research at the same time. These are on days when I'm not doing uh, teaching. I, I teach part time, um, and I do the odd bit of freelance work as well. But there are days when, which are purely uh, writing. If I'm doing one of the other two things uh, at the same time, I, I would in theory and, and, and normally sticks to this, spend the first couple of hours 
working on the novel, the new novel, and then use the, the sort of one till 3 p.m. to do the, the, the other bits and bobs um, uh, that I might need to do for the, for either my teaching work or uh, or freelance. And then, if again, if, if I'm doing that, then around 3, 15, 3.30, I'll come back to, to where I live, which is quite close by, and take my son out at four-ish for about an hour and a half um, to, give, to spend some time with him and also to give that... My, my partner some some set some space and some time to herself and also to to, to so she you know normally she'll normally get his meal ready then in the evening we come back he does that and then we hit the end of the day at seven o'clock six seven o'clock something like that and i might do some work after that too if if needed but you know that i probably um, i've been i'm lucky to be able to to in five or six hours of work get what i need to do that day done um and i'm not i'm not and i want to be able to 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 use that time in the morning and the, the late afternoon to be with my, my 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 son as well if that makes sense if this is obviously if i'm teaching if there's teaching hours that's a day can look very different but that's a that's a day that's been that's been happening regularly over the last few months uh, come come the end of the day when you uh, you you've played with your well when you've stopped what you thought of as writing and researching for the day uh how good are you at switching off from your story hopefully you've got your a thousand words down you've you've researched what you needed to how good are you at partitioning the the kind of creative and the family man that you are now um i think it depends i think that if 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 things are going well and and you're being productive there's as a result there's no you're not there's never a sort of champing at the bit or frustration that you're not writing if that makes sense. There might be, there might be nice, it might leak into an evening and that's in a good way in the sense of, you know, adding something in a kind of slightly excitable fashion. It's, it's, it's bonus, bonus material, let's say bonus thoughts, bonus things. Um, if thing, if, if things are not going that well, or, or there's a kind of slight treading of water in the writing work, which has happened a little bit over the last year for me for different reasons, no, not last year, last few months for different reasons. And part of that is to do with with thinking about where you're going with a novel or why. Then, then I find then it's harder to switch off because there's a sort of antsy feeling of I want to be. I need, you know, I haven't spent. I haven't been productive. I want to be productive. But of course, it's impossible to be productive at that point. <laughs> so, it, so, so the the key thing is to tell, to remind yourself of that. <laughs> um, not not to say to yourself, oh, I've I've missed my opportunity and now I'm resentful of that. More you know, as you say, you know, compartmentalize a little bit. Um, and even before having a child, and uh, but in a relationship, even then, you know, there's, there's, there's certain, there's certain, you need to box, box up your time to a certain amount, to, to a certain extent anyway, don't you? That the idea that the idea of the great artist who's able to do what she or he or she pleases um, throughout any hour of the day is, 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 I think, an unfortunate myth <laughs> whether whether or not it's true in certain cases i don't know but it's certainly not been my my experience of of life relationships family and writing i think um yeah i think i think i think it's i struggle to switch off sometimes but that's because i struggle to switch off full stop i'm not sure how much of that to do is is to do with the creative process <laughs> and i guess i guess that this is a question that if you'd asked me a year ago or two years ago there might, I might have had different thoughts than with the pandemic and lockdown and, and what that's meant to us. And 
I think a lot of I've, a lot of people found it difficult to switch off, you know, regardless of what they're doing when there's nothing else to do. Do you know what I mean? If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Before we get back into it with Joe, uh, just another quick prompt, a reminder that if you're enjoying what we do, if you've learned anything in almost 200 episodes now, that has just helped the way that you tell the stories. If it's changed a little part of your day that has made it better, it's made it easier for you to get the words down, you can show us your appreciation for that over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Just a little, the cost of a cup of coffee, the cost of a book, the cost of a pint, it really goes a long way. Uh, it goes a long way to helping us carry on bringing you these chats with the best authors around as often as we can. I am eternally grateful for everything that you send us over at Patreon. For that, you get our undying thanks, you get uh, merch, you get a way for your book to sponsor the show, and you get more content as well. At the moment, we give you two episodes for free. You can get more than that by helping us out, by supporting the show as often as you can and signing up at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with Joe Thomas talking about his new book in the Sao Paulo Quartet called Brazilian Psycho. Uh, in this part, we talk about how he brought the city to life using words on a page. How do you reflect an entire place? An entire place with so much history, one of the most glamorous but corrupt and violent and interesting places on the planet. How do you do that in a hundred thousand words or so. Also, we've got a bit more about the day in there, how much music plays a part in his writing. And we pick things up with how tight that first draft is. And after four books, does it really get any easier? I'm better at producing the first draft than I was. 
So I, I'm kind of aware the vo- I, I hope of sort of voice and style is establishing itself. And, and whereas it's not any easier to write novels, I think in, in some, some ways it's possibly harder. It might feel easier to write sentences now than it did some time ago or paragraphs or if that makes sense. And in terms of the word count, actually, I, I should probably clarify that. It changes for me, depending on where I am with the project, depending on urgency, depending on enthusiasm, depending on other work. And I think the key for me is not so much a thousand words a day as a weekly word a word count of, of hitting about 5,000 a week. And that might go up as well, depending on 7,500 a week at, at certain points in the year. So then I'm looking at a month, you know, what do you, you know, 20,000 words in a month feels like a good number. Do you see what I mean? And I know, I know that, that our, I know that I'm capable of writing 3000 words on one day. If, if it happens, I'm also capable of writing very few words. Um, and I'm also aware of the, of the intrusions of, of other parts of life. So, so I think, I think I don't beat myself up too much about not hitting a word count a word amount. Um, but I also don't over celebrate doing too much because I kind of try and look at it as a, as a project that balances out. So if you think about Stephen King said something interesting once, I'm not, I haven't read all of his book on writing. I'm not a huge reader of his books either, but I'm interested in him of course. And he said something like uh, the first draft of a novel should never take more than a season. It's never take more than three months. And considering he's written novels that are sort of 200,000 words, that's pretty extraordinary. And he, and but I see his point. If you if you break it down and you break out, you know, if you're writing twenty thousand words a month, slowly, then it, then if you add to that, you you could you could produce a eighty ninety thousand word novel in in three or four months with, as a draft anyway. And and I just think that I think that is realistic. Um, but I also think it's important not to get too not to worry too much about that. Um, and I'm you know and, and I guess from on my perspective from my perspective, I'm lucky in that I. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I haven't, I don't struggle to, to, to want to write and to actually write. I, um, and when I'm not, when I'm not, I can feel myself sort of procrastinating or putting other things ahead of it. I I mean, I mean, professionally, not, not personally speaking. And, um, but I know I'm doing it because I know there's time and I know everything's fine. If you see what I mean, I haven't struggled, um, when it's been, when, if there's been pressure on, and again, I've been quite lucky on that front, my publisher, you know, I've published five novels now and they've been one a year, but the writing of that, that, that sounds more intense a program than it actually is. If you, you know, the first two books were basically written before the first one was published. So, and the ideas for others have come. So it's been a fairly, a fairly good, consistent six or seven years work, which has been, or maybe seven or eight years, which has been really lucky to be able to be able to have that kind of run of, run of publication. You, you seem to be an author from what you said earlier, that, doesn't care much for the like the fancy frivolities of of writing and creativity you prefer to just hopefully sit down and crack on with it but on on times when the words are struggling uh, have you any you know little uh, peculiarities that help it maybe like a cup of coffee at a certain time like a little bit of music like what happens um i think the first thing is that when there's a you know i write novels which although crime novels based on fact and hopefully at the, the sort of the end of the crime spectrum whereby we're not looking so much as to who did it, but why, why it happened and, and the investigation of society. So um, I'm not doing lock room mysteries, but there is plot in these books. And 
I quite, and you quite often come up against a knotty problem <laughs> and, and it, or, or, or needing to know how to get from one place to the next and going for a walk almost always offers that solution um, and not even necessarily knowing. So, so yeah, I'll do that, get some fresh air, um, wander around. It could, it could be a 20 minutes or it could be two hours, but it's basically getting away. That's the, that's one way I've, I've always found as a, as a, um, quite often to the point where, you know, you're hundred meters from your front door and you go, Oh yeah, that's what needs to happen. Um, so that's one, that's one way. Um, music's an interesting one cause I'm, I'm spent my whole life listening to collecting music and so on. Uh, I do listen to music sometimes when I work and other times I don't, that, that feels that can be, it can be a very, it's interesting. I don't know whether it's going to be helpful or unhelpful until I put it on. But then as soon as I do, it, it helps. Do you see what I mean? I put it on and it's not working. I turn it off and I'm more focused. I put it on and it, and it helps and, I, and that focus continues. So those are the two things, really. Stimulants, coffee-wise, I, I, I can only really drink one cup of coffee in the morning, otherwise I go bonkers. Um, <laughs> so, so water is more important. <laughs> uh, now, the new novel is uh, Brazilian Psycho. Uh, just tell us about the first moment. I know that this is part of a series kind of thing, but tell us about the first moment that the idea for this book came into your head. Well, this, yeah, it, it's there the are a quartet of novels that I've written that are set in Sao Paulo, and that's Paradise City, Gringa, Playboy, and now Brazilian Psycho. And Brazilian Psycho is the final part of the quartet, but it also kind of introduces the quartet. You, it's a good place to start, I think. All four novels work as standalone novels. Um, but they're also obviously connected, connected with characters that overlap, uh, plot lines, ideas. Um, but you could read in any order and you could choose to read one and none of the others, I suppose. Hopefully that's not the case. Um, but in fact, the um, the event that inspired the whole quartet really has only now, is now part of Brazilian Psycho, which is because um, it's gone, it runs from 2003 to 2019 we start with lula's election so a socialist president coming to power in 2003 and now in 2019 uh jair bolsonaro coming who's obviously you know brutal right wing and brazil's going through a very very difficult time at the moment so the idea of the novel brazilian psycho and the quartet in as a whole was to try and investigate this period of time but to answer the question specifically I lived in Sao Paulo from 2002 to 2012, roughly, basically. And, and on 2006, on the Mother's Day weekend, there was um, a, a kind of rebellion that occurred f- from the big criminal gang, the PCC in Sao Paulo. Um, the World Cup was that year, 2006, of course, and the PCC gang, uh, mainly involved in drugs, but all sorts of other criminal activity, they are, the leaders are, kept in prison or well, they're in prison not kept in prison that's, that sounds strange. they're imprisoned they're in jail and they demanded from the authorities so they requested uh flat screen tvs for their cells to watch the the world cup um and this request was denied and so as a consequence at least this is the superficially superficial narrative as a consequence the um the gang the foot, sh- foot soldiers of the gang in Sao Paulo kind of tore the place up, create some chaos. Um, buses were left, were, were evacuated and set fire to. Attacks were made on, on the police. Police and gangsters attacked each other. Public buildings were kind of raided. It, there were 100, over 150 people were killed over the weekend. Uh, that's mainly gangsters and police in a kind of tit-for-tat military police situation whereby 
there were military police were executing uh, suspects under the cloak of chaos, as it were, gangsters um, kidnapping policemen, military police families. And so, so it was a very, very unpleasant uh, weekend in that sense. Of course, there were the tragic consequences too in terms of you know bystanders. Um, and I, 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 I saw that weekend from behind the security, secure gates of my condominium where I lived, um, but, but knew it was happening. You could hear it happening. It was a very strange situation. The city is suddenly silent, and then you're told not to be in it. So I was part of it, but not part of it. Um, I obviously wasn't part of the actual violence, or the, or the, but, but being part of the city, um, but also, again, distance from that. Um, and then after that event, on the Monday morning, I was working in a British school there and the headmaster came to talk to us and he'd been talking to the chief of police who's outside the gates, whose son studied the school. It was a very privileged and high powered school. And he said that, that, that any you know police officer who'd been shot at could receive, we're receiving danger money, if you like, you know, traumatic payments for the trauma and so on. And so then there were policemen who were shooting at their own police stations and shooting at their own vehicles and using those bullet holes as proof that they'd been shot at and claiming the money as well. Uh, and that was a little story of that weekend and a story of that. And I thought, wow, that's extraordinary. Um, and then and that, that planted the seed of, of, of trying to understand what that weekend was and, and how it happened. And it wasn't until the other books happened a little later than that, but it wasn't until I started to write Brazilian Psycho and research it that I went further into what had happened that weekend and discovered it was a lot more complex than the narrative that I had heard. I would tell people that story almost, you know, as a, not the tragic element, but the idea of a gang wanting to watch the world cup and therefore bringing the city to its knees to get the screens. There's a kind of quaint foreignness to that, a South American corruption element to that. But in fact, in fact, that was, it's a very sort of arrogant and superior, slightly naive, version of events these were political this was a political scandal um this wasn't this was a lawless weekend whereby um the police were behaving as badly if not worse than the the gangsters and the criminals um and where that came from and how so that that was the that was the ins- <laughs> that was the motivation uh, and at the time it had in, it informed the or the whole quartet as i said but it but it was when i went to brazilian psycho and decided to go back and start before the other three novels when I realised that that was a story which had to be, become a major plot part of the of the book and it, it features in the in the first third first yeah the first sort of touch more than the first third in in, in, in very in very great detail and I and I think that it's a, a shocking weekend but also when you consider the kinds of practices that are going on if not the out, outward violence but the corruption the of the construction industry of the government that we've got in the UK, the division and incompetence. Suddenly those, those feelings about that kind of quaint South American corruption have changed. And I, and I, I, yeah, I I hope it will resonate with, with British readers, but perhaps, and it, and the violence might, might be surprising and shocking, but I don't think the, 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 the the corruptions of power uh, that drive all that will be anymore. So that was a very long answer. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's interesting that you mention the the the, the quaint kind of South Americanness that us us Westerners might perceive that that initial story. I mean, Brazil is a, is a is a huge place filled with different amounts of aspects, and 
you know, people here in Britain probably have quite a stereotypical view of, of how some of those are, you know, uh, uh, people living in the favelas placed right against incredibly rich people on Copacabana Beach. How are you accurately portraying your version of Brazil in, you know, four books of 80,000 words? It's interesting. Um, and yeah, you know, in terms of the books, the, the first two are 80,000 words. The third one, Playboy, was 65 and Brazilian Psycho is 150. So that gives you some sense of <clears throat> of the scale of them. Just, 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 and I think that, well, my experience was I lived in a, in a, I taught an international school. I had Brazilian friends, expat friends, many Brazilian friends. I lived in a condominium building um, and played tennis very, every week with a group of, um, mainly men, some women who were uh, either mainly older than me, some younger than me, but very few my age. Of kind of, I was about you know late twenties, thirty at this point. So I was getting perspective of of, of Sao Paulo from men in their forties or fifties, uh, and or or teenagers, and that's an interesting thing straight away. There's a slight generational um, shift. I was in the middle, uh, and I didn't have, I didn't share the politics or, or opinions of some of these men. But I could see, I could start to understand where they where it came from, and and that's not to excuse or accept some of their ideas or opinions. Um, I'm not suggesting they were bigoted, just that um, as a left wing uh, kind of supporter generally, it's it's it, you know to listen and try to to understand the position. So there was that, and then next to my next to the condominium was a favela, Paradisopolis, um, which translates as Paradise City, which obviously in is the title of the first book. And and that was you could see it from our condominium. It's very very close. I drove through it to get a shortcut to work. I drove past it all the time, and you see you see it, and you start to understand the life in it. But you still you don't go into it. And I did a, I did go into the favelas a number of times, mainly to drink in after hours bars, but with people that knew well enough that you know that it was safe, I suppose. And the, and there's still that that element of, and there's a very middle-class view in Brazil of the favelas as being a hotbed of, of, of danger. And of course they are to a point, but they're also not, um, you know, 99% of people working in the favelas are hardworking and poor living who live there. Sorry. Um, but they, it is the gangs. And I'm thinking specifically of Sao Paulo and specifically of Paris then there. The um, Sao Paulo doesn't have the same dramatic physical geographical, sorry, um, view of the favela as Rio does, you know, up in the, up in the hills. And that, as you as you point out, that contrast, Copacabana and then or Ipanema, and then the hills going back, um, it's less. It's not an attractive place in that sense. Um, and the, but the favelas are still in that kind of cheek by jowl element sometimes, and you can find yourself in one without meaning to. Um, the so you know to answer the question, it, it's ten years of, of 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 living in a place being aware of your position within that, but trying to understand that other people have a different experiences too. Um, I wouldn't claim to, to, to having a great understanding other, uh, other, you know, Marielle Franco, who was murdered tragically. Well, she was murdered brutally, but of course it was a tragedy in Rio, the activist and politician murdered by um, a former military police you know, as a sort of death squad who have connections to Bolsonaro. That's another story. And of course it, it is no, it referenced in my, novel but it's um it's in uh that's took place in rio but i i used uh, one of her phrases for the epigraph of the novel which was the you know the favela i can't remember exactly let me just grab a copy of the book so i can get this right 
um, because it's a beautiful sentiment. It reminds me a bit of Shakespeare's Coriolanus, um, but it's, she says, uh, hang on, excuse me, I'm sorry about this, just a moment. She says, the favela is not the problem, the favela is the city, the favela is the solution. And that is Mary Lee Franklin. And my, my feeling was those words rang really true, not because... Not because I, I, you know, that may help me understand the favela any better than I did from what I saw, from what I witnessed, from what I read about, but also in terms of the city itself. And and that is the opposite of how the cities are run. Sao Paulo is, is a city that is hugely diverse, left-leaning, liberal, um, massive, you know, LGBTQ uh, group community biggest pride festival i think in the world behind sydney perhaps i'm not sure but but those sorts of signifiers that, that demonstrate a place which is open um and it is but it's also a hugely conservative place deeply conservative in terms of the elites wanting to hold the higher ground you know the money the 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 catholic and um and other churches that that have a kind of insidious effect on 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 the country so it it so it's got these 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 enormous uh, contrasts and inequalities that make it a fascinating place to to read about or to write about but more urgently than that it, for me it was trying to think about how i'd lived through that place and, and what and what that place meant and how it meant that and not really understanding it properly until some 10 years nearly till i left and i i don't think i understand brazil i'm not claiming to understand brazil incredibly well but i do think i i know something about Sao Paulo in that particular time, in that particular moment. <laughs> that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Uh, you, if you've enjoyed Joe on the show, you can grab a copy of his book, Brazilian Psycho, using the link wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, and it's at writersroutine.com as well. Uh, now, next week, we are with Xanthi Barker, whose debut is Will This House Last Forever?, uh, it's a memoir about the death of her father, the uh, the, the poet Sebastian Barker. Uh, it, it, it's a winding, reflective, very intriguing chat, that one. Uh, it'll be back next Friday. We'll have another little bite-sized bit of inspiration for you, a random routine midway through next week as well, so keep your eyes peeled on your podcast feeds for that. You can follow us so you never miss an episode and also get in touch at writersroutine.com and you can support us at the Patreon too. Uh, until then, I will see you next week with Xanthi Barker on the show. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Joe, bye. Bye.